Hello, and welcome to episode number 11 of the JS Bach Files. I'm Terence O'Grady, and today we're going to talk about Bach's Christmas Oratorio. It's probably somewhat appropriate that we turn from Bach's B minor Mass, which we discussed in episodes 9 and 10, to Bach's Christmas Oratorio, since both works are known for their use of parody, or reusing music previously associated with another text. The Christmas Oratorio is actually a cycle of six separate cantatas, the first three performed on the first three days of Christmas, 25th, 26th, and 27th of December, and the next three performed on the Feast of the Circumcision, January 1st, the Sunday after New Year, January 2nd, and the Feast of Epiphany, January 6th. Nevertheless, Bach clearly considered the six cantatas to be a single unified work with a single title page embracing them all and with all six texts printed together and available for the congregation at each performance. The librettist for this occasion was probably Picander, who wrote the librettier text for a number of other Bach cantatas, sacred and secular, including the secular cantatas which were parodied for this Christmas oratorio. Pickender's name was not cited as author of the texts in the printed libretti, however, and some noted Bach experts, specifically Daniel R. Malamed, whom I've mentioned before, reserved significant doubts about whether Pickender was the sole author for the original Christmas oratorio texts. We're going to proceed as if Pickender is in fact the author here, but please be aware there is some disagreement on this matter. And, of course, considerable portions of the text for the Christmas Oratorio were not provided by the librettist per se. The texts for the chorales, or hymns, come from various sources, and the biblical narrative comes from the Gospel according to Luke, referenced in the score simply as the Evangelist. The borrowing or repurposing of music that I just referred to was primarily from two of the cantatas from a series of secular cantatas, BWV 212 through 215, which Bach composed from September 1733 to October 1734 to celebrate events connected with the Dresden royal family, with which, as we have noted before, Bach attempted to curry favor on a number of occasions. We'll spend some time comparing the two versions, that is, the music as it appears in those earlier secular cantatas versus the music as it's employed in the Christmas oratorio, but ultimately, we're just going to accept these borrowings as a given and focus on what Bach has accomplished in the later work. And when we talk about the reusing of musical pieces by assigning new texts to them, it could be argued that it's more of a librettist's art than it is a composer's. But in reality, it's a joint project. Bach did provide some new music for the Christmas Oratorio, of course, new recitatives, chorales, and at least one aria. And he also changed keys from the original in many cases, and assigned arias to different voices. And of course, he could have made even more extensive changes in the music if he had chosen to. So, when we see the final product of this collaboration between Pickender and Bach, we can assume it was with Bach's full acquiescence. The English translation for the opening chorus of Part 1 of the Oratorio, and I'm once again using the fine translations by Francis Brown from the extraordinarily useful BachCantatas.com website, the text for the opening chorus of the first section is Shout for joy, exult, rise up, glorify the day, praise what today the highest has done, abandon hesitation, banish lamentation, begin to sing with rejoicing and exultation, serve the highest with glorious choirs, let us honor the name of our ruler. The movement is in D major in 3-8 time and features an initial instrumental ritornello that opens surprisingly with a timpani solo, a simple but forceful rhythmic figure that hammers away on the tonic note but concludes on the dominant. This robust and presumably heroic opening gesture is answered by a little phrase from the two flutes playing in thirds, which, although somewhat martial in its rhythmic identity, is, by comparison with the timpani, delicate and even slightly coquettish. The timpani returns with an even busier variant of its opening measures, and the flutes answer in kind, and soon we find ourselves in a swirl of fanfare-like figures from the trumpets and sweeping scale passages from the strings. Soon, after just eight bars, in fact, we're introduced to the main melodic idea of the movement, quite a simple one, actually, with equally simple alternations of tonic and dominant chords beneath it, but robustly martial-sounding. We'll hear the opening timpani and flute exchange, the cascading strings and fanfare-like motives, and the beginning of the main melodic idea.
Near the end of my excerpt, you heard Bach beginning to spin out the original melodic ideas while introducing a little more harmonic complexity. Not surprising, since Bach is not likely to be satisfied with the simple alternation between tonic and dominant for very long. When the four-part chorus enters, it does so in unison in octaves, echoing the original timpani motive that began the opening ritonello, after which it moves on to equally military-sounding fanfare-like motives before breaking into four-part chords for the main ritonello theme. Now, of course, the text makes it clear that this is a celebratory occasion. Shout for joy, exult, rise up, glorify the day. And yet, it might seem just a little peculiar to have the voices, when they do enter, imitating timpani and trumpets so blatantly. But it makes perfect sense when one considers what the original text for the borrowed material was. Cantata BWV 214, from which this first movement was parodied, begins with a text translated into English as... Sound you drums, ring out you trumpets. So Bach's music is quite a literal translation of the original text from BWV 214. Does that mean it's less appropriate for its new text for the first section of the Christmas Oratorio? Not necessarily. After all, pounding timpani rhythms and trumpet fanfares are standard fare for setting celebratory musical texts, and Shout for Joy, Rise Up, Glorify the Day is certainly a celebratory text. Still, one could easily make the argument that the music serves the original text just a little bit better than the new text. As this first movement of the Christmas oratorio proceeds, the initial homophonic texture of voices in the same rhythm gives way to little bits of imitation based largely on that little flute mode from the second bar I mentioned earlier, which also finds its way repeatedly into the orchestral accompaniment. As the movement continues, there are naturally varied recurrences of the original instrumental ritonello, as well as timpani and trumpet invitations by the four voices in unison and octaves. And there is a somewhat contrasting middle section where we shift to the key of B minor and introduce a new section of text, Serve the Highest with Glorious Choirs. The following instrumental ritonello also stays in B minor and features a nice interplay of various instrumental combinations and another new vocal section, although one that is once again accompanied by familiar motives in the orchestral accompaniment, introduces the final bit of text, Let us honor the name of our ruler. Following this, we get a da capo sign, and the entire first section of the chorus is repeated. It's quite a distinctive opening chorus, and although it may not be quite as well suited to this text as to its original text, it serves as a highly successful launch to the entire oratorio. In the second movement, the evangelist, sung by a tenor solo, delivers a lengthy recitative in which the beginning of the Christmas story is laid out. In English translation, the text is, It happened at that time that an order went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be assessed, and everyone went so that he might be assessed, each to his own city. Joseph went up out of Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, into the land of Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. For he was of the house and race of David, so that he might be assessed with Mary, his betrothed wife who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Bach's setting is for the most part straightforward and unemotional, with the occasional diminished seventh chord providing a slightly ominous touch, as for example in the reference to Caesar Augustus. Whereas the evangelist recitative is biblical and informational, so to speak, drawing the scene for the listener, the alto recitative falls more in the character of a commentary on, or even emotional response to the scene thus set. The alto's text, which uses the familiar Christ as bridegroom imagery, is, Now, my dearest bridegroom, now the hero from the race of David, for the consolation and salvation of the earth shall at last be born. Now the star that comes from Jacob shall shine, its ray is already burst forth. Rise up, Zion, and abandon your weeping, your well-being climbs aloft. 
This is not to say that this alto recitative is overtly emotional. There are passing affective touches on the word weeping and elsewhere, and an ascending line on the line your well-being climbs aloft, but the word painting is mostly modest and the general mood is one of noble affirmation. The sonorities are richer because this recitative is not accompanied by a continuo alone, but also by a pair of oboes d'amour. They mostly serve to sustain chords behind the singer, but still the effect is more colorful than in the opening recitative. We'll hear just a little bit of the alto recitative. The alto aria which follows in A minor and 3-8 meter retains the two oboes and adds the first violin to the cello bassoon and continual accompaniment. The text is, Make yourself ready, Zion, with tender desires to see with you soon him who is most beautiful, most dear. Your cheeks must today be far more beautifully resplendent. Hasten to love your bridegroom with the greatest longing. Bach's melody, as introduced in the opening instrumental ritonello, is strong and distinctive, with clearly marked rhythms and symmetrical phrases. It takes a quick detour from A minor to C major and back again, all in the first four measures, with the second four bars being a clever variant of the first four. After that, it breaks into mostly arpeggiated sixteenth notes, which keep the momentum going nicely to the end of the period and a cadence on tonic. The alto soloist then takes control, quoting the tune note for note initially before moving on to a distinctive countermelody featuring a series of descending fifth leaps. We'll hear the opening ritornello and the first entrance of the alto. As distinctive as this melody is, its relationship to the text is just a bit problematic. From a word-painting perspective, there is not much to suggest the tender desires spoken of in the text, nor does there seem to be any obvious reference to greatest longing. There is a real sense of hastening, however, and what might be heard as a purposeful, almost impatient desire to achieve one's goal. Interestingly enough, the original text for this aria from Cantata BWV 213, known as Hercules at the Crossroad, may actually be a better fit for the impatient striving which seems to mark the music. In BWV 213, Hercules is very much at a crossroads in terms of whether he will dedicate his life to the pursuit of virtue or pleasure. In this aria, he appears to have made up his mind. The original text in translation is, I do not want to listen to you, I do not want to be acquainted with you, degenerate pleasure, I do not know you. For the serpents that wanted to catch me in my cradle, I have long ago crushed and torn to pieces. This is not to suggest that Bach's music is not also compatible with its new text and the Christmas oratorio, and in fact, some aspects of the aria, particularly some of its leaps from lush dissonances at the text of the words most dear and most beautiful, seem perfectly designed to confirm the new meaning of the words. There is a contrasting middle section as usual, and new countermelodies are introduced along the way, all perfectly compatible with the implications of the new text. So, it would be completely unfair to suggest that the music is somehow misplaced in terms of reinforcing the sentiments of the new text in the Christmas Oratorio. But at the same time, a listener can't help but notice certain qualities which, not surprisingly, link the music to its original text. The next movement is a chorale setting, his use of Lutheran chorales being one of the most distinctive features of Bach's oratorios. The text by Paul Gerhardt in English translation is, How should I receive you and how should I meet you? O longing of the whole world, O adornment of my soul. O Jesus, Jesus, place yourself, your lamp by me, so that what gives you delight I may know and understand. This chorale for 
SATB Voices and Orchestral Accompaniment is based on an original secular melody by Hanslo Hustler, known familiarly as the Passion Chorale. Bach did make a notable use of it in his Passions, but the melody was widely used outside of that context as well. Here are the opening measures of the chorale. The recitative that follows, sung by the evangelist, is brief but important. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, for they had otherwise no room at the inn. Ending on the dominant of G major, the recitative segues into one of the several hybrid movements combining chorale melodies with recitative, which Bach experimented with in several cantatas and elsewhere. It begins with a lilting, rather sedate instrumental introduction featuring two oboes de more which lead directly into the first phrase of a chorale melody sung with some ornamentation by the sopranos, the text of which is, He has come on earth in poverty. When the chorale breaks off on a diminished seventh chord, a bass soloist intervenes with the opening of its recitative asking, Who will rightly extol the love that our Savior cherishes for us? As if in response, the soprano's chorale continues after a brief instrumental interlude with its second phrase, once more securely in G major, so that he may have mercy on us. But even as the sopranos sustain their final note of the second phrase, the underlying instrumental passage again introduces the element of doubt, with a modulation toward C minor to prepare for the darker sentiments expressed in the next section of the bass recitative, as he asks in his most dramatic tones, Indeed, who is able to realize how he is moved by human suffering? This is followed by another rather dark instrumental interlude in D minor, but one which, after just three bars, brightens to G major and then moves to C major, where the next phrase of the chorale, and make us rich in heaven, is begun by the sopranos. But the reassuring chorale phrases sung by the sopranos have not yet managed to assuage our bass soloist, whose next phrase still appears somewhat touched by anxiety as he sings, The highest sun came into the world because its salvation pleases him so well. But the instrumental interlude that follows succeeds in calming the waters, as it moves from the key of A minor, where our bass concluded his recitative, and now using a familiar motive, transitions to G major, where the sopranos sing, and like his beloved angels. The bass responds, finally able to answer his own question, stating that he himself is willing to be born as a man. Even at this point, the bass begins its final statement in A minor, but he concludes it in G major, setting up a lovely cadence for the final phrase of the chorale, intoned simply by the sopranos, Lord, have mercy. Bach made a number of attempts to combine recitative with chorale melodies in various works, but this example may well be one of his most successful. We'll hear the beginning of the movement and some of the interchange between the chorale melody and the recitative. In the next movement, the bass soloist, having been convinced of the reasons for Jesus' incarnation, now returns to the theme of the previous chorale, the contrast between the simplicity and even poverty of Jesus' birth and his divine power and authority. The text reads, Great Lord, O mighty King, dearest Savior, oh, how little you regard earthly splendor. He who maintains the whole world and created its glory and adornment must sleep in a hard crib. The power and authority of Jesus is made clear enough by an opening ritonello dominated by trumpet fanfares and, when the bass enters, a squarely rhythmic version of the same broadly assertive melody that frequently marches down descending triadic patterns while the trumpet continues its militant-sounding figures against it. After a variant of the opening ritonello, we encounter the middle or B section of this staccato aria and the second part of the text, he who maintains the whole world and created its glory and adornment must sleep in a hard crib. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here we do move briefly to the road of a minor key, but the boldness of the A section is not much changed in this new 16-bar B section, except perhaps where Bach references the infant sleeping in a hard crib with slightly hesitant-sounding syncopations. After another short ritonello and a varied repeat of the 16 bars that began the B section, a da capo sign takes us back to the beginning and we repeat the entire A section. It's an interesting aria, parodied from Cantata BWV 214 again, where the original text begins, Crown and praise of crown ladies, queen, with your name I shall fill the whole world. And it's an aria that is almost completely devoid of the harmonic nuances a listener might expect from Bach, sounding, in fact, rather like a victorious Handel aria from one of his operas. But it makes its point directly. Despite his humble beginnings, Christ is king over all. We'll hear the opening of the aria. The cantata and the first section of the oratorio concludes with a tender four-part chorale accompanied by the orchestra featuring the text by Luther, Ah, little Jesus, dear to my heart, make for yourself a clean, soft bed to rest in the shrine of my heart so that I may never forget you. Interspersed with these gentle choral phrases and concluding the piece are, once again, fanfare-like figures from the trumpet punctuated by timpani but the effect is far from heroic this time, with the slower tempo and presumably softer volume levels creating an effect that seems more nostalgic than commanding. Here's a little bit of the final chorale. The second cantata, or second part of the Christmas Oratorio, is titled in English, And There Were Shepherds in the Same Area, and it was performed on the second day of Christmas, December 26th. It begins with a wonderful instrumental symphonia, which, in accordance with tradition, evokes a pastoral mood with its lilting 12-8 melody with dotted rhythms in G major. It's really the type of melody, or I should probably say the type of melodic harmonic interaction that has produced some of Bach's most memorable tunes. It begins with a repeated motive, really just an ascending tonic triad, starting on the third of the chord in this case, which is repeated, or a variant of which is repeated, as the bass line beneath it descends by step. The exact pattern doesn't hold for very long, but its essence permeates the melodic activity for virtually the entire movement. The other clearly distinctive attribute associated with this movement is its orchestration. It employs two oboes de more and two oboes de caccia, which feature a slightly hoarser and more rustic tone quality. The oboes, of course, have a long historical association with shepherds and flocks, but the movement doesn't begin with the oboes, although they begin contributing their somewhat simpler melodic ideas after just eight bars, but rather with the strings and continuo, which establish the peaceful setting. Marcus Rathi, in his excellent book, Bach's Major Vocal Works, Music, Drama, Liturgy, joins other scholars who make the point that Bach uses the strings to depict the angels and the oboes to represent the shepherds and the more earthly mode they inhabit. Bach introduces some very interesting harmonic complexities as the movement proceeds, a little more generally speaking, in the passages where the heavenly strings dominate than where the more earth-born oboes have control. But while the two spheres often alternate, they also at times coexist, and that's how this lovely symphonia comes to an end. We'll hear the opening of the movement.
The next movement is a recitative in E minor ending in B minor by the Evangelist with the text, And there were shepherds in the same area in the fields with their flocks. They watched over their flocks by night, and see, the angel of the Lord came to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very afraid. Bach's musical setting suggests some uncertainty at first, and the fear becomes noticeably more palpable, musically speaking, in the setting of his last few words. Following this recitative is another chorale setting, the text by Johann Rist, in which the shepherds are urged to take heart, since the weak baby boy is born to subdue Satan and bring peace at last. This theme is continued in the next recitative, shared by the tenor and soprano soloists representing the evangelist and an appropriately ethereal-sounding angel, respectively. The tenor begins with, And the angel said to them, the soprano sings, Do not fear, see, I announce to you great joy, which will befall all the people, for the Savior is born for you today, who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. Here's a very brief example. Der Engel sprach zu ihnen. A dignified bass recitative follows, commenting on the role of the shepherds. What God promised to Abraham, he now allows to the band of shepherds to be shown as fulfilled. A shepherd had all beforehand to learn from God, and now also a shepherd must of the deed that was promised in the past first know of the fulfillment. A delightful tenor aria follows, the music repurposed again from BWV 214, where it is heard as an alto aria with an oboe rather than the flute heard as the obligato instrument and in E minor rather than B minor. The text for the original version is, Devoted muses, my companions, do not sing songs that have been long known. Let this day be your delight. Fill your hearts with joy. Throw down both quill and writings and rejoice with triple joy. But the new text for the Christmas oratorio is, Joyful shepherds, hurry, ah, hurry, in case you linger too long. Hurry to see the lovely child. Go, the joy is too beautiful. Seek to gain that loveliness. Go and refresh your heart and mind. Both texts are concerned with joy, even though the initial key is minor in both, but of course, a faster tempo minor key piece in the Baroque era is almost as likely to express a positive emotion, as it does here, as it is a darker or threatening mood. The key is E minor, as I mentioned before, the meter 3-8, and the melody introduced in the opening instrumental ritonello features a solo flute, which plays a key role throughout beginning with its distinctive ascending leap of a tenth before working its way back down the scale. As the movement proceeds, the solo tenor part presents some serious technical demands for the singer, including long strings of non-stop 30-second notes stretched out over a single syllable of text, often in alternation with equally fast-moving flute passages. Now, there are plenty of other Bach cantatas that contain passages requiring formidable vocal virtuosity, some even more than this one. Still, it is the first of its type that we've encountered in the Christmas Oratorio and does raise the question of why these long, difficult melismas should be included in this particular movement. Some of it has to do with the nature of the main thematic idea, which features some fast-moving passages right from the beginning. And, when spun out in the typical Baroque manner, a melody such as this is likely to increase its rhythmic activity as the movement unfolds, rather than the opposite. But, of course, it's really to the text we have to turn for our ultimate explanation. Both texts may deal with joy, but Pickender's text in the Christmas Oratorio specifically references hurrying to see the infant Jesus. This is one of those instances where the parody version in the Christmas Oratorio is clearly more successful than the original version, if for no other reason than, with its abundance of hurried passages, it is simply more compatible with the new text. We'll hear the beginning of the aria. Oh, I 
After the briefest of recitatives from the evangelist, and you shall have this for a sign, you will find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We have an introspective chorale with the text, Look, there lies in the dark stable one who has dominion over all, where once an ox sought food, now rests the virgin's child. The next bass recitative deals with the shepherds and accordingly features the two pairs of oboes prominently. Then go there, you shepherds, go, that you may see the wonder, and if you find the Son of the Highest lying in a hard manger, then sing to him in his cradle in a sweet tone, and with the whole choir the song for his rest. The last aria of this second cantata, A Lovely Lullaby, has probably generated more commentary than any other in the Christmas oratorio. The text states, Sleep, my dearest, enjoy your rest. Wake after this, so that all may thrive. Comfort the breast, fill the pleasure with which we make glad our hearts. But the original text, as found in cantata BWV 213, Hercules at the Crossroads, is... Sleep, my darling, and get used to ease. Follow the enticement of inflamed thoughts. Savor the delight of a lustful heart and recognize no limits. The Hercules cantata, which we referred to before, involves the young Hercules as a stand-in for Prince Frederick Christian on his 11th birthday as he negotiates through difficult life choices, notably choosing virtue over pleasure. In the original cantata, the allegorical figure of pleasure sings a lullaby to Hercules, obviously trying to recruit him to her point of view. Many have questioned how such a text, so obviously lascivious in its nature, could be reappropriated to serve as a lullaby for baby Jesus. Well, it's a great piece, it's a great lullaby, and Bach was perfectly well aware of that. How many people ever heard the work in its original context? Relatively few, and almost certainly none of those who would be hearing the Christmas oratorio. So I doubt seriously that Bach, with his history of repurposing movements, would have hesitated even briefly to re-employ an excellent lullaby into a context in which an excellent lullaby was called for. Once again, this piece, so extraordinarily gentle and with a simple yet distinctive ritornello melody so effective in tying the piece together, fits the new text perfectly. Here's the opening of the movement. After a brief recitative from the evangelist, and at once there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host who praised God and said, the chorus jumps in with a joyous declamation in G major, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. 
Mark Vivace in G major and original to the Christmas Oratorio. It features highly energetic, independent rhythmic figures in the voices, along with touches of imitation and rhythmically vigorous accompaniment from the orchestra. About a minute into the piece, the mood and key change dramatically at the words, and peace on earth. Now in E minor, the volume is reduced from forte to piano, and the continual bass line slows considerably along with the aggressive rhythmic accompaniment in the orchestra, while the voices move to more lyrical, sustained motives. At the words, goodwill toward men, the music resumes its original sense of enthusiasm, moving toward C major, back at its original volume level, with the continual bass line resuming its original level of activity and introducing more rapid 16th note runs in all the voices. Eventually, the original choral theme returns and Bach runs through the entire text quickly, reprising most of the earlier thematic ideas, including the quieter middle section, before heading to a rousing conclusion. We'll hear the opening of the piece. Next, a quick bass recitative comments, It is right, you angels, that you should rejoice and sing, that it has turned out so well for us today. Up then, we shall join with you. It can delight us as well as you. And we close the second part of the oratorio with a carol. We sing to you in your host with all our might, praise, honor, and glory that you, O guest, we have long desired, have now appeared. This is a new version of the chorale setting that closed the first part of the oratorio, the text again by Gerhardt, with oboes now taking the place of the earlier brass interjections between the choral phrases. The title of the third cantata, or third part of the Christmas Oratorio, is translated as Ruler of Heaven, Here Our Inarticulate Speech, and was performed originally on the third day of Christmas. Stylistically, the opening chorus harkens back to the first chorus of the Oratorio, once again in a celebrative mood, with a striding, firmly homophonic ritonello featuring trumpets and timpani as well as flutes, oboes, and the full complement of strings. The text, translated into English, is... Ruler of heaven, hear our inarticulate speech. Let our faint songs please you. When your Zion exalts you with psalms, hear the exultant praise of our hearts, as we show our reverence for you, since our welfare is made sure. After 16 bars and against a reduced orchestral texture, the voices enter. They do so one at a time, but with a series of related four-bar phrases rather than a precise imitation of the tenor's opening phrase after which sopranos and altos engage in a melismatic flow of sixteenth notes in thirds and sixths against a sustained tenor part. But this lighter texture does not prevail for very long. Soon the entire orchestra re-enters, trumpets and timpani again figuring prominently, and the voices now stoutly replicate the opening instrumental ritornello, or at least virtually so, before coming to a solid cadence on the dominant. At that point, a variant of the ritonello enters on the dominant, after which the voices re-enter, basically recreating the arrangement described earlier, and we drive to a cadence. Is there a close relationship between the music and the text? 
At first glance, the music certainly seems to represent the exultant praise of our hearts. But let's also take a brief look at the text originally associated with this music, since this chorus derives from the final chorus from Cantata BWV 214, titled Sound You Drums, Ring Out You Trumpets, the same one that provided us with the opening chorus for the entire oratorio. In that original context, which involves a trio of soloists followed by the full chorus, the text was as follows. The first soloist, the character Irene, sings, Blossom you linden trees in Saxony like cedars. The second character, Bologna, adds, Resound with weapons, wagons, and wheels. The third, Pallas, joins in with, Sing you muses with full sound. Then altogether, Happy hours, you joyful times, Grant us more often in the future these golden joys. Queen, may you live, yes, may you live long. Does one text work better than the other? They both celebrate the occasion in reasonably specific terms. The Christmas oratorio's reference to our faint songs doesn't appear to have anything distinctly analogous within the music, although the orchestral texture is reduced when the line first appears, and the voices do at first appear singly rather than as a group. But, on the other hand, the initial call for the linden trees to blossom like cedars doesn't seem to fit the triumphal mood to a T either, although the next lines resound with weapons, wagons, and wheels, and sing you muses with full sound seem to connect quite well with the music. At any rate, we are really questioning Pickender, the librettist, more than Bach. The general mood of the music works perfectly well in either instance. We'll hear the opening of the movement. After the briefest of recitatives from our evangelist tenor who sings, and as the angels went from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, the chorus representing the shepherds and supported by the full orchestra, minus trumpets and timpani sings, let us now go to Bethlehem and see the event that has happened there, which the Lord has made known to us. It's a terrific chorus, imitative in nature, the short but distinctive theme beginning with a simple ascending pattern from the tonic in eighth notes but subsequently involving longer note values and some distinctive leaps is announced in the tenors with something of a countersubject, actually the inversion of the opening theme, added in the second bar by the basses and imitated after two bars by the sopranos at the octave. All of this against the fast-moving walking bass line and frenetic sixteenth note scale passages in the strings and flutes both of which add to the sense of urgency that was just beginning to dawn on the shepherds. The theme is soon picked up by the basses, and after that, fragments of the theme, often just the first five note, appear here and there throughout the choral texture as the first line of the text is repeated. New, somewhat more expansive melodic motives are introduced as we move on to the second line of text, but the bustling orchestral part proceeds apace until the modulation brings us to C-sharp minor and the next recitative. This is a very attractive chorus thought to be original to the Christmas Oratorio, and the one-by-one -one imitative entrances in the opening is a wonderful musical depiction of, as Marcus Rathy points out in his excellent book on Bach's major vocal works, which I've mentioned before, the shepherds, one after another, departing for the manger. The bass recitative that follows provides a commentary which, although fairly short, is by no means perfunctory. 
He has consoled his people. He has redeemed Israel, sent help out of Zion, and ended our suffering. Sea shepherds, this is what he has done. Go, this is what you will find. In the key of E minor, and representing a dramatic emotional shift from the exuberance of the previous chorus, this recitative, accompanied by continuo and flutes, which provides a brief melodic insertion of their own, contains some subtle harmonic touches, particularly at the reference to ending our suffering. The recitative concludes on A major, preparing for the next movement, another chorale in D major, based on Luther's text, and employing the traditional melody translated in English as Blessed Are You, Jesus Christ, and expressively set by Bach. All this he has done for us to show his great love. For this reason, let all the Christian world rejoice and thank him for this in eternity. Lord, have mercy. One of the most famous movements of the Christmas Oratorio comes next, a duet for soprano and bass. The text is, Lord, your compassion, your mercy, console us and make us free. Your gracious favor and love, your wondrous desires, make the love you have for us as a father again new. The opening ritonello presents the charming melody in a duet for the oboes de Moore. It presents three related melodic ideas, of which the last, the simplest of the three, is particularly memorable for the way in which its repeated staccato notes link up with quick little descending melodic curls, which appear throughout the whole ritonello. We'll hear first just the opening instrumental ritonello. The soprano enters first, reproducing the opening of the ritonello theme precisely, with the bass following two bars later, and the soprano dropping down a third to harmonize with it. The two voices proceed, mostly in parallel sixths, following the ritonello theme closely until, at the word free, the soprano sustains a note at the top of its phrase, echoed a third lower by the bass. Against this lovely lyrical flow, the orchestral accompaniment, most notably the two oboes de more, double the duetting lines while filling in at the ends of the phrases and with independent references to the ritornello theme, especially the final phrase with its distinctive repeated staccato 16th notes. Following a varied ritornello, the bass and soprano rejoin their duet, continuing to base their melodic activity on motives from the ritornello. After another complete ritornello, the first section comes to an end. The contrasting middle section continues to draw on ritonella motives, even as it introduces longer and more florid lines and moves farther afield tonally. The repeated staccato motive continues to play an important role here, as well as does the tight descending curls mentioned earlier. At its conclusion, the da capo sign takes us back for a repeat of the first section. We'll hear an excerpt beginning with the entrance of the voices. Music and the text seem perfectly appropriate together, but this is once again an example of a parody, the original duet coming again from the secular cantata BWV 213. In the original, the piece constitutes a love duet, sometimes described as erotic, 
between the tenor Hercules and the alto who represents the allegorical character virtue. In this case, the music clearly deserved a better fate than to be forever linked to what is irredeemably a silly text, and if the music has a sensuous element, as it almost undeniably does, it doesn't seem out of place for a text that refers to your gracious favor and love and your wondrous desires, and language of that sort is, as we've noted before, very much in keeping with the notion of Christ the bridegroom and his love for his bride, the Christian soul. Besides, Bach's orchestration for this duet in the Christmas Oratorio is infinitely more interesting than in BWV 213, especially his use of the dual oboes de more. So there's no question at all here that Bach's use of the duet in the Christmas Oratorio represents an upgrade. Our tenor evangelist recitative next brings us to the climax of the story. And they came in haste and found both Mary and Joseph, and with them the child lying in the manger. But when they had seen this, they spread the word that had been spoken to them about this child. And all those to whom it came wondered at the speech which the shepherds had told to them. Mary, however, kept all these words and thought over them in her heart. One might expect a more conventionally emotional recitative here, and while it is expressive throughout, it is only in the closing bars, with the reference to Mary keeping the words and thinking them over in her heart, that brings forth an unusual chromatic progression that underlines the exceptional quality of the moment. Sie das Wort aus, welches zu ihnen von diesem Kind gesaget war. Und alle, für die es kam, wunderten sich der Rede, die ihnen die Hirten gesaget hatten. Maria behielt alle diese Worte. At this dramatic point in the Christmas story, we next hear an alto aria representing Mary that reflects on the need for every Christian to ponder this moment and feel inspired by it. It is thought to be the only completely new aria composed for the Christmas oratorio. The text is, Enclose my heart this blessed wonder firmly in your faith. Let this wonder, this work of God, always serve to strengthen your weak faith. The opening ritonello in B minor features a solo violin which figures prominently throughout. It exhibits an elegant and expressive line with some distinctive qualities, including some subtle syncopations, but one that relies increasingly on more generic figuration patterns, arpeggios and scale lines, as it proceeds. We'll hear the instrumental introduction. The solo alto part enters after 24 bars, staying close to the opening violin melody for the most part, but adding some distinctive touches of its own, especially as it heads toward a cadence in D major. As it continues, it touches on other tonal centers briefly, including F-sharp minor, but continues to refer back motivically to the Ritronello melody, particularly in its use of subtly syncopated figures. Meanwhile, the solo violin continues to contribute yearning lyrical phrases in support of the alto soloist. The next ritornello comes in F-sharp minor, where it introduces a somewhat contrasting middle section, along with the second line of text, Let this wonder, this work of God, always serve to strengthen your weak faith. This new section is tonally a bit more restless, moving first to E minor and then A minor, 
but the alto melody, although introducing some new ideas, continues to reference the subtle syncopations heard earlier. The middle section ends on the dominant of B minor to introduce a shortened ritornello, which in turn leads to a repeat of the first part of the text and a variant of the original melodic material. We close with the solo violin and the second half of its original ritornello. While this aria may not have an overtly emotional appeal, it is masterfully constructed and the demure accompaniment provided by the solo violin is among the most effective in the entire oratorio. We'll hear an excerpt from the entrance of the alto soloist through the beginning of the middle section. The third part of the Christmas oratorio concludes, perhaps anticlimactically, with a pair of recitatives and chorales, and a recapitulation of the opening chorus. The first recitative, sung by the alto, with the accompaniment of two flutes and continuo, provides a quick introduction to the first chorale. The text is, Yes, yes, my heart will keep what at this gracious time for its blessedness it has learned as certain proof. The text for the chorale by Paul Gerhardt, accompanied by the entire orchestra, minus trumpets and timpani, is, I shall diligently keep you in mind, I shall for you live here, to you I shall depart, with you I shall one day soar aloft, full of joy, beyond time, there in the other life. The evangelist recitative sets the stage for the final two movements, stating, And the shepherds went back again, glorified and praised God for everything they had seen and heard, as it had been said to them. And the final chorale, a somewhat austere one in F-sharp minor and sounding less than obviously joyful, but putting the traditional Lutheran emphasis on the birth of Christ as essential to salvation, is based on a text by Christoph Runga. The text is, Meanwhile, be joyful that your salvation has been born here as both God and man, he who is the Lord and Christ in David's city chosen from many. The final movement of part three is a recapitulation of the obviously celebratory opening chorus of which we'll hear the conclusion. That's it for episode 11. In episode 12, we'll look at the final three parts of the Christmas Oratorio.